Hi, I'm Michelle Carney, and this is my episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. I think the more we see, the more we hear, the more we understand, the easier it is to be inclusive and, and just see people as people and humans. And then that sense of belonging within businesses or communities, we all, we all want to belong somewhere, don't we? My utopia, if you like, would to get to, so when a mother gives birth to a child who happens to have Down syndrome, it is, congratulations, you've got a beautiful daughter. And the, the mother and the parents and the family have seen images of people with Down syndrome who are winning gold medals, who are doing really well in business. So that, there isn't a barrier there that anything is possible. Yes, great to have you back on board today. We have an excellent guest coming up for you, someone who's inspiring and empowering people to make the world a better place. We have Michelle Carney live on the show with us today. But just before we dive in, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the Sleep Eat Perform Repeat newsletter. You can do it online on our website, sleepeatperformrepeat.com. It lands in your inbox every week, free of charge, and has some unique insights into elite sports, arts, business cultures, through the in-depth conversations that we have on the show. We also share some partner offers that are exclusively available to listeners of the show. And lastly, a quick shout out to the sponsor of the show, Hawara. You can check it out at hawaralife.com. That's H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Now, let's dive in with Michelle. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons, and learnings. Today we spoke with Michelle Kearney, founder and CEO of Purpose Driven Impact, Comic Relief Program Director, and former CEO of Special Olympics GB. Michelle is a giver who has transformed and reformed many environments. Having an MSc in leadership and organizational change, Michelle has been leading, inspiring, and empowering people to change the world. She's passionate about seeing the opportunity, potential, and wonder in any moment. She has experience across charity, volunteer, international NGO, commercial, sport for development, and professional sports sectors. She is vocal about diversity diversity and inclusion and her hashtag is be kind today we speak about her role with comic relief sport relief and the commonwealth games how she got into that and what her after party thing would be we unpack how she changes the lives of others every day and why the smallest and simplest things like a smile or compliment can make a huge impact we lean into diversity in sport and how to genuinely transform the corporate and sports world from an inclusion perspective. Our stories around the Special Olympics role are amazing. We get an insight into where this all began for Michelle, what's exciting coming up, and what high performance means to someone who has impacted so many. Michelle Carney, thanks very much for spending some time with us today all the way over in London. What's, what's your day looking like? How are you doing? My day is looking really great. So yeah, thank you, David and Kieran, for the for the invitation. I'm currently sat in comic relief offices by the River Thames, just looking out. Um, and yeah, really looking forward to the conversation with you two guys. Don't know where it's going to go, but that's the beauty of conversations. What are you doing at Comic Relief? So I um, um I set up my own consultancy. So I was previously um, CEO of Special Olympics Great Britain. For three years and then last summer um 
the universe kind of changed a little bit and um, it just kind of moved its way around. So circumstances meant that I then set up my own business um, called Purpose Driven Impact. Uh, I'm a purpose driven individual and just kind of want to help organisations be as inclusive and uh, diverse and creative as possible. Uh, my background is sport, something I'm passionate about, the power of sport for good. And Comic Relief um, reached out to me and said they were really looking at sport relief um, in terms of how that campaign runs and looking at doing it a bit differently. And we're looking at a partnership with Commonwealth Games and asked me if I'd come in and, and help and support and basically lead that partnership, which is right up my street. Um, so it's one of the contracts that I have at the moment. That's excellent. I've seen actually a tweet recently about the funds that Comic Relief has raised over the last 20 years. I think it's £419 million pounds has been raised by the, the British public. How much of that is driven through the people who are in Comic Relief and Sport Relief that are working tirelessly to get these events, to get these things across to the general public? Well, I think it. I think it's down to the general public. You know, it's it's down to people's desire to do good and to give back. Um, and what Comic Relief do brilliantly is through Red Nose Day, which is happening on the 18th of March. So the whole team here is in Red Nose Day, um, night of TV, because there's a big broadcast show on BBC um, a week on Friday. So, so actually what Comic Relief do brilliantly is take entertainment and comedy and combine it with a call to action to give, to do good, you know, do something funny for money. Um, and now it's also using the power of sport and sports stars and, you know, celebrities to entertain people because we all, we all need a laugh, don't we? We all need to be entertained. And charity giving, you know, we, we see so many desperate images and I've always been really uncomfortable with um, some of the big charities, less so now, but use, you know, images of the same hungry child eating from the same, you know, aluminium the foil packets. And I'm like, actually, what you're showing is the problem still exists and the funding isn't moving forward. So my preference, and it's just my personal, is that showing people the difference in a joyful way of the impact that funding has is far more, it's just a, it's just a better way um, to, to bring people in because we all have, everybody has, you know, all this, stressful lives and tough lives and we see the news and all of that we just want a bit of light relief and if we can give on the back of that then more power to your elbow as they say so yeah there's a there's a team of really committed people who work across comic relief um but also the bbc has a really strong partnership there and the bbc in the last 100 years i was trying to to another team They've raised, that their viewers have raised over, I think it's three billion pounds for charities. Wow. That's the power of entertainment and TV. And, and I think the challenge now, and what a lot of charities and, and certainly comic relief and using the sport relief, but the stuff we're doing with sport relief is we're going to test some new ways. You know, people are consuming content in a really different way. There aren't just four channels anymore. Although my parents live in the west of Ireland in rural Ireland, don't have Sky or any digital TV, so they still have four channels. You know, we, we want to be entertained. We want to be entertained on our phones. We want short form content. 
we're unlikely to tune in and sit in front of TV for four hours. So how do we utilize how people are consuming data in the best way possible, but also informs with a with a call, you know, to give. Um, and that's that's the beauty of technology and the digital evolution as well. I'd say so. Michelle, so with this with this big day coming up, what would be the the after party, after event piece of entertainment you would do trying to raise money, trying to raise some funds? What would that be? Well, David, I am always entertaining. <laughs> it's not really. I like to think I am. I, I, I think I'm the funniest person in a room of one. I tend to make myself laugh consistently. Honestly, there's a whole documentary to be made inside my head because there's a lot that goes on in there. I'm going to wait to the after party with the Commonwealth Games because I think that'll be a much bigger party because we, we're we in the planning and for all the activations and the activities that we're going to be doing leading up to the Commonwealth Games, which takes place in Birmingham in the summer. So it starts on the 28th of July. We'll run to it's the 9th of August. And with um, Comic Relief, we've partnered. We're one of the registered official charities of the Commonwealth Games. Um, so we're going to we're working with two other small charities, Commonwealth Sport Foundation and United by Birmingham, which is their legacy charity, to look at how we use the power of a massive games and a big sporting event to mobilise and encourage and entertain, but also compel people to to do good and you know donate whatever they can or just just you know my philosophy in life just be kind, just be a good person, and if you can you know, help another person on the way, then do that as well. So I think by the end of um, the Commonwealth Games, uh, one of the teams that the challenge of, she was looking forward to seeing me dancing on a table with Lenny Henry. Newsworthy. That's brilliant. And we can see across your history, I mean, even before Purpose Driven Impact, being with the Special Olympics, being the former CEO, there's a lot of focus on giving back, creating a better place for people to live in this world. Where was this passion ignited and when did it really start to become that purpose for you? Oh, that's a great question. I, well, I think I've always been driven to help or do good. And now I don't, I don't know where that came from as a, from a, as a youngster, but I only realized as I've gone through different roles and, you know, if you look at my career history, it's a non-traditional route through you know I've had some peaks and troughs and you know I've gone from being a CEO then to to losing everything and going back and working behind a bar and working my way back up again and then falling off and then working my way back up again and through a few roles that were you know high profile one big cricket club that I worked with I was like actually this doesn't light my fire you know doing a job that doesn't make a difference to people's lives just doesn't do anything for me and you know it's people have different motivations don't they but for me I just saw the opportunities that I didn't have as a as a young person um you know I grew up of Irish parents in Manchester we didn't have a lot of money I went to school in human side what we did have was a great community around us I, I'd never seen anybody working in a corporate sector you know i I didn't know what that was and I didn't have any role models that showed me the way. I kind of just kind of bumbled along and found my way through. And, you know, I was desperate to play 
football and sport and nobody could tell me where to go. You know, I ended up as I grew up next to Man United football ground, um, a complete red nut. And when Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson took over, I wrote him a letter um, and said, can you tell me where I can play football? And fair dues to him. Um, and I told him last year when I met, um, I said, um, it, he wrote back to me, gave me a number and I started to play for Man United Ladies. So, yeah, I didn't want anybody else to, to struggle as much as I did just for the right opportunities based on where you live, who your parents are, what opportunities are presented to you. And I think we're all capable of amazing things. And for me, I genuinely get no greater joy than, you know, lighting a spark or, you know, working with, I love working with young people to go, actually, you can do this, you know, and just giving that helping hand and just pointing in a different direction. And, you know, I scrapped my way through, but I don't think it should be that hard. And yeah, I think that's my, my drive is, you know, the opportunities that I didn't have as a young person, I kind of want to pave the way to just to make it easier. So, you know, the most brilliant people, I used to use this analogy in sport, the best cricket player in the world might well live in Stratford in Manchester, where it's where I grew up. But if they've never had the opportunity to play cricket, how do they know? You know, if you don't give people an opportunity. And then that, that cricket player, if they are playing in a club, but the club is not part of a pathway, so the club, they're the best player in the club, but actually they could play at international level. If there isn't a pathway or somebody helping them on the way, you'll just never unlock that potential. And I just think we've all got the potential to do amazing things and just with a bit of belief and just pointing in the right direction. I call them angels, you know. Every so often we meet people in life who just point us in a different direction. You go, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. What's bubbling through here is so much kind of in, intrinsic motivation, Michelle, right? It's stuff you, that, that lights your fire. And there was a lovely piece there on LinkedIn you wrote um, kind of capturing around International Women's Day and you were talking about opportunity is everything. And then you kind of finish the paragraph with making sure wonderful things happen. So, yeah. so how do you make sure or how do you try that in every day? You really are trying to create that joy, that spark, that wonder, that positivity, that energy, because it radiates through you. But how you, how can you keep on giving that message to others each day? What does what does the day today look like for you? Do you know what I did? I did it this morning um, on my way in on the tube, which is a soulless place. <laughs> it can be, but you know, we're, we're everybody is having a you know we've all got our own challenges and stresses, and you know you never know what anybody else is going through. Um, so I smile at people. If I like somebody's outfit, I'll tell them whether I know them or not. If I like somebody's shoes, I'll say that. Um, I was in a shop giving a parcel over uh, the other week and I went in and this guy was, you know, behind the counter and he was just looking soulless. <laughs> so I gave him a big smile and he looked at me really confused. And um, so I was like, oh, hey, how's your day? You know, da, 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 da. And they did what he needed to do. And I said, thank you and a big smile and his his face just then changed and he was like oh and I was like okay just giving him just a, just a smattering of something because we know how good it feels when somebody says do you know what you've done a really good job or actually your hair is lovely which is what I said to you David wasn't it when I saw you and um, I just <laughs> said your background was lovely on your zoom on the zoom call we were on um but I just I just think 
it's just the small things. You know, it's, it's the Mayor Angelou quote, you know, people forget what you say, people forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So I do a lot of introspection on that and just kind of want to, to leave people better than I found them. And, you know, that's not me being evangelical because I really, I don't know if I can swear, pee people off as well, probably get right up people's noses as well. But um, it's just a nicer way to live, isn't it? Pay it forward, an old mentor of mine. So I think let's just find something positive in every single day and every situation. Like I've had quite a lot of things happen in my life which have actually genuinely nearly killed me or, you know, I've nearly made decisions, you know, about whether I live or die. And it's a it's a really powerful, the brain is a really powerful thing, so you just kind of have to hang on to what is good. And I turn everything into, when this mad stuff has happened to me when I lived in Africa and, you know, my life reads like a, a, a movie on occasion. And I just turn it into a chapter of a book. I go, oh, this is going to be a great chapter. You know, when really awful things happen, you just kind of go, okay, if I'm watching a movie, what does that look like? You know, this is a great chapter for the book. And that's how I kind of see life. That's brilliant. Thanks for the, thanks for sharing that as well. It, it's something that we sort of ask a lot on the show about the pandemic and what's gone on recently about uncertainty and people facing a difficulty or a change or challenge in their life. A lot of the time, we do a lot of introspection. We say we have to build a self-awareness. How much is maybe the first stepping stone, the advice should be that we should help someone else out? Or maybe we should look to give back something or our time to get that little bit of fulfillment and maybe give joy to someone else so we can maybe get a bit of joy in our own lives from that. Do you think that's a message worth sharing? And it seems to have a fire within yourself with be kind and those other pieces that you mentioned. A hundred percent, because... We we do things for others because it makes us feel good, you know. It also makes the other person feel good, so it's a win-win. But we don't. There's an intention behind every single thing that we do, every decision we make, every thought that we have. So you know, there's 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 always a payback, and I, you know, and, and I'm very honest about charity donations as well. I'm like, I will I'm I will wait on a night of TV for an opportunity to enter a competition. So if there's a chance I'm going to get something back for my 10, 20, 30 pound donation, I'm going to, I'm going to wait till that point, you know, because that makes me feel, oh, I've got enough, you know, um, a chance to, to get something back. But I think that, that self-awareness, that joy, and actually just, you're absolutely right that doing stuff for others and then appreciating it makes you feel so good. And I, th- I don't know whether people are ashamed to say that because they think it needs to be entirely selfless. And yes, of course I do good. But we all do take actions to feel something. You know, whether you're going to, I always talk about when people are not so nice, um, what is the intention behind their behaviour? Why would somebody want to speak to me like that? And actually when you boil it down, down, down to it, it's their own insecurity lack of confidence and they want to feel powerful or in control or you know whatever that is and I would just rather concentrate on the joy give joy so it's the basic principles of the universe isn't it it's like secret just see the world differently and I sound like I'm preaching a bit I feel like I'm a little bit like Mother Teresa right now and let me tell you I'm so far from that amazing woman (laughs) but just it's just it's just a really small 
philosophy. And don't get me wrong, I don't get up every day and start singing, you know, the hills are alive or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a joy to wake up alive. So what are we going to do today just to, to make it a good day? You looked at leadership and organizational change in, in Teesside and, you know, whereas physios here, we're obviously interested in behavior, which you mentioned and, and how we can help people understand why it's, it's worth doing something for, for themselves, why it's good for them. With, with companies, you know, in the corporate world or maybe even sporting organizations that are reluctant, slow, maybe not feeling that it is important, enacting change in terms of inclusion and in terms of diversity. What would the message be to those organizations and institutions to get them to really understand that this is something we need to be doing more of? Oh, my God. Well, you just you only need to read some case studies of the of the businesses who didn't adapt and change to surroundings. You know, the blockbusters and, you know, of this world that just thought they had a really good uh, model that would never go out of date. And and actually, I think I was talking uh, to somebody about this the other day. You know, the, the world that we thought we lived in, so I, I live and work in London, I'm, I'm not a native, but, you know, the businesses, the, the sandwich shops and um, all the businesses that were in and around the tube stations that were always packed out, I think they thought, you know, none of us ever thought a pandemic would hit and would just decimate the underground, you know, the, the, the tube, the transport system. Therefore, all the shops, the hospitality. So I think businesses and all of us need to wake up and go, actually, nothing is certain. And we need to consistently observe what's around us and we need to adapt and changes. And I've led so many different organizational transformation and change programs or reformation, as we, we start to call it now. And people are so fearful of it but when you break it down to it it's actually because they just go what does it mean for me um but actually change is inevitable maybe we should teach it in schools you know just the importance of it there's a brilliant book um who moved my cheese i think spencer holmes or what i say wrote it about two mice every day went to the same place for for dinner for their cheese and then one day it wasn't there and it talks about the behavior of the two mice and then one just kept going back every day hopeful the other one went back a few times and then went, actually, I'm going to have to find food elsewhere. And it's just a really simple analogy about how we survive. But I think the inclusion and diversity is a really interesting one because, and I talk about this a lot, it's very overwhelming to think about it in a in its entirety. And you, know, you can see businesses going, oh, God, I'm going to have to employ people. I'm going to have to employ departments. We're going to, you know, we've got other things to do. We need to look at profit margins. Well, my view is let's just take the bullshit out of it and you know if everybody just did three things differently for example in for to start to create an inclusive culture then things would naturally start to change everything starts with one step two steps you know if you look at it as oh my god we've got to change the whole workforce and it needs to be more diverse and we need to say we're being inclusive and that's actually not inclusion in action that's that's not that that's not that at all but just asking the key questions so the work i did at special olympics i worked a lot with um the athlete leadership team um all athletes with intellectual disabilities and you know special olympics is a phenomenal organization um 
that works all over the world and uses spores to transform lives of people with intellectual disability who are amongst the most um, disadvantaged groups. So 94% of people with an intellectual disability are unemployed in the UK. Outrageous that only 6% of people with an intellectual disability are unemployment. So we have this um, athlete leadership team made up of athletes, chaired by athletes. I used to ask their permission, could I come to their meetings? When I first started with Special Olympics, I said, what do you want? And they basically said, we want a voice and we want to be heard. So I said, done deal. So they, over the years, then they became part of our formal leadership team. And they were part and parcel of all the big decisions we made, including those of the pandemic, when we had to stop activity and how we communicated to athletes and volunteers all across um, the UK. What they also did was um, I had a, I was working with a team from Downing Street um, who were working on the government's disability strategy and I was talking to them about, they, they came to me and asked me, you know, just in terms of consultation and I said, hang on a sec, why don't you come to one of our meetings and meet our athlete leadership team and they'll tell you directly what the barriers have been for them throughout their lives. And that's, that's a much better conversation to have. And that's what happened. Four, four um, members, four of the team from Downing Street joined our Zoom meeting and still uh, still see someone today who said it was by far away one of the most inspirational sessions. But what they heard was the barriers in education. So someone with an intellectual disability um, putting exams in doesn't work, you know. So immediate barrier there. And then BTECs, when I, and I did a BTEC at college because I couldn't do exams either. But they, they were now starting to put exams into BTECs. Well, automatically you're disadvantaging, disadvantaging those, if that's even a word, with a learning or intellectual disability. Then if you look at the world of work, how do we apply for jobs? It's all paper-based. We, <laughs> you have to go through all these really in-depth forms. Well, automatically, you are, again, excluding people who have a learning disability or an intellectual disability. So when we were, we were doing the recruitment process, but, and, the, and the solutions are really simple. It's just asking the right questions of the right people. So what we did was um, we had a, an opening on our board of trustees. So we offered it to the athlete leadership team. So the process is really simple. So I spoke to all seven of the group and said, this is, this is the opportunity. This is what it would mean. This is what you'll be dealing with. And this is the support you'll have. If you want to apply for it and we can help you with it, put a one minute video together because they all have phones and just say why you would, you know, why you would like to apply. Five of them did that. They were assessed by the board. Three of them were invited to interview, which again, so it was none of it was paper based. It was all, um, face-to-face if you like and that's how we did the recruitment it's not that difficult but if you're just doing heavily paper-based stuff you are automatically excluding a large percentage of the population and the same with big businesses so if you think um and what one of our athletes here had said like businesses when you go for if you go to a meeting in a big massive corporate space it's very overwhelming so for someone with an intellectual or learning disability, they don't necessarily know where to go to check in. They, they you know, and all you, and they don't know how to navigate through that building. So if anybody, if your visitors are sent a, you know, a video which says, this is what the space is going to look like. This is where you go to. This is reception. 
when you're there, someone's going to ask you your name and blah, blah, blah. And this is where you're going to go. And there's going to be a lift and you're going to go up. Someone with autism or who's neurodiverse or, you know, who, who struggles with, you know, um, in terms of managing all that information in a space, that makes it entirely more inclusive environment. So it's just small things like that can make a massive difference. And then the big book there is, and this is going to be the barrier to true diversity of thought and inclusion on board. The decision makers, and that's those who are around board tables and stuff, they have to buy into it. And in order to change, and I've worked in a lot of places which have been male, middle class, you know, middle-aged men um, from a certain demographic. Now, if you if you look at that, so just take cricket, for example, which was that, if you've got a... a board of 10 men from the same social demographic who have been to the same schools in order for them to to truly be more diverse some of them are going to have to give up their seat on that board and then when you ask people to do that you're taking away their power if you like perceived power so there are some fundamental big things that need to happen in terms and that's about giving power to other people and that's where I think this whole agenda can be um, won or lost. That's around, the, you know, somebody has to give up their seat to allow true diversity of thought. Have I lost you there? No, that's excellent. And I think just looking into DEI, what we're seeing a lot now is that it's the starting point for companies, but also there's a huge block that comes after it. And it's that sense of belonging. So when you create yeah. the relative equal, equal playing field, so whatever challenges I face, whatever challenges someone else faces, or the person next to me, that we're weighted relative to what our challenges, our unique challenges are for us mm-hmm. is for the inclusion piece. But then when we get into that company, we have to make sure that everybody feels like they are a part of it. So how important is the belonging piece and what are the key steps for us to do today to improve that for ourselves and also for working with other people? You know, the belonging piece is, is, is absolutely crucial. And, you know, I think with a lot of this, it's just basic education and showing what people can do and a lot of people won't admit it and um, maybe don't know how to speak to somebody you know and I I stand up stood up on a lot of stages and said how do you speak to someone with an intellectual disability you know people are oh I might just say hey how you doing (laughs) you know it's a it's a conversation and actually you I think we learn about what's possible by seeing I'm a very visual person. So seeing or reading or, or hearing of stories where you go, God, I had no idea. So just a couple of key people. So there's a guy, um, uh, Mike, who um, is a Special Olympics athlete, a brilliant, brilliant young man, amazing young man. Um, he has Down syndrome. He was the first person, Welsh person with Down syndrome to run the London Marathon. So he did it virtually uh, last year and up. Uh, the year before and then he did it last year and I went and met him in London and his family for lunch. Now he has his own business and it's cold pit Welsh cakes, are the best Welsh cakes you've ever tasted in your whole entire life. And <laughs> his business has just taken off and it was actually, he was featured um, just before Christmas on Saturday Kitchen. Um, one of the, They showed one of his hampers and subsequently it just went off like, you know, in terms of popularity 
So he runs his own business with support, but he's a businessman now. Yeah, and he's, he's, a, he's a great, he's an amazing, amazing young man. Then we've got a chap called Niall Gite. Now, when I first met Niall, um, he was pretty much non-verbal um, in meetings. He used Chatty's cards, so emotions cards. And then through something that was called the 2.6 Challenge a few years ago, and he came up with an idea and said, I'm going to draw 26 football stadiums and I'm going to raise £260 for Special Olympics. To date, he has drawn maybe, I think, over 150 sports stadiums which have gone all over the world and he's raised in excess of £6,500. So going on a journey with him, um, and I'd said to him, actually, this would be a really good social enterprise. We could help you develop your business. And that's what he launched just before Christmas. I couldn't be prouder. And he's now selling um, mugs and pictures. And if you go to nileguide.com, um, you could just you can get any um, stadium um, around the world, and he and you could do he does uh, bespoke stuff. But what he then went from was the young man I met who was nonverbal back end of end of early 2019 to then being interviewed on BBC TV on radio, and he was on ESPN. And this is a completely transformed young man who. Used to bring, you'd just video call me at any opportunity, speaking to, you know, colleagues at Downing Street. And again, just opportunity, the right support around and the belief that great things can happen. And I think from the sense of belonging, if we, so one of the things and one of the recommendations um, we made was in big businesses, if you've got a series of champions or mentors, because I, I think it, you just need to be, more visible about it as well and just getting to know individuals you know who are um different from your normal crew i guess but we're all different aren't we so i think just breaking down those barriers and once you realize i think i was at um we had, this, we had the anniversary games in sterling in scotland when i first started in 2018 and there was a there was a whole load of corporate volunteers and one of them said to me in the bar not that i'm in the bar that often always um, after uh-huh. one of the day's events, he said, do you know what? He said, I'm ashamed to say that before I came, I didn't know how I was going to fare because I didn't know what it was going to be like to be working with people with an intellectual disability. And he said, I've had the best day. And he said, I've had such a laugh on this golf course. And he said, I'm really ashamed that I had these perceptions. He goes, but I'm really glad because that I now know, you know, that life is not what I thought it was. And he went on to him and his mates, who were big rugby people, went on to then volunteer in his local club and it changed his life. I just think we need to do more of it and just smash it. So the, I, I use the um, talk a lot about the, um, you know, what London 2012 did for the Paralympics. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, now if a, if a child is born with, without a limb or, you know, or a physical disability, more likely than not, you'll have seen an athlete or you'll have seen a Paralympian or, you know, you've seen people on TV and you go, actually, you know, I know I can wear a prosthetic and, you know, my child can, you know, go on and win gold medals and compete if that's what they want to do. So the more we see, the easier is it to go, oh. But then in Special Olympics terms, the amount of parents we spoke to who were handed their child with an apology 
and particularly those with a, who've given birth to a, a child with visible intellectual disabilities such as Down syndrome, are like, I'm so sorry your son has, I'm so sorry. And I was like, actually, there's no need to apologise, <laughs> you know. It should be congratulations, you have a beautiful daughter, you have a beautiful son. You know, in terms of the experience that a lot of parents had, that they told me um, from hospital medical staff about what it was like to have a child um, who had Down syndrome, for example. So, and I kind of go, the more people we can get with Down syndrome and learning disability on TV and just talking about their lives, then you also, I want my utopia, if you like, would to get to. So when a mother gives birth to a child who happens to have Down syndrome, it is, congratulations, you've got a beautiful daughter. And the, the mother and the parents and the family have seen images of people with Down syndrome who are winning gold medals, who are doing really well in business, who are, you know, so that it, there isn't a barrier there that anything is possible. So that's where I get really evangelical about it, but I'm really passionate about that. I think the more we see, the more we hear, the more we understand, the easier it is to be inclusive and, and just see people as people and humans. Um, and then that sense of belonging within businesses or communities. We all, we all want to belong somewhere, don't we? Um, so we just yeah. need to find our tribe. But Michelle, with, with all the giving, all the opportunities, all this reformation, as you call it, and breaking down barriers, What's next? What what's what do you have? You obviously have the that event coming up in a couple of weeks that you're touching at the start. But what are the other things that uh, you're really excited about? I'm really excited about um, well, one the the sport relief um, Commonwealth Games in the summer and the opportunity just to see how much money we can make, what we can do differently. I'm excited about helping Comic Relief and the team here shape what is possible through the power of sport and sport for good and so sport is a tool to make change i'm also working with another charity called made by sport who are um very much about that sport for good i'm doing a lot of analysis and there's a, there's an event in westminster in a couple of weeks um and i'm working with them on some fundraising models and looking at how we can do that the ask differently and so I've been working on a seed investment model um, idea, um, which we're which we're piloting, and it's just about how we how we approach people differently to do good and just be positive disruptors in the field. So I'm excited to see where we can take that conversation, and that's about unlocking um, more corporate support. So I think it's about 0.5% of a corporate um, contribution into sport. So, you know, they, they, a big corporates invest a lot in rights holders. So, you know, big football clubs or the Formula One or whatever, less than 1% of that in totality goes into sport for good. I'm just kind of um, just making people excited about that. Then one of the other things, what I'm really excited about is going to Australia in October. Um, I lived in Australia in my 20s and it's a long time since I've been back to see my buddies. So I'm going over for a month, so I'm really excited about that. And then the other thing on my list of things to do is to finally get working on my book. I've wanted to write a book for so long, um, and I've been journaling for donkey's years, um, but it's whether to, to write a, as a novel or a, a learning book or 
just a selfish thing, just about my life and actually what people can take, you know, in terms of resilience and all of that, you know, that, you know, people are in, in, in desperate times. And, you know, last summer, I nearly made a decision which um, was very close to it, um, which would have changed the life of all of my family and friends. And, you know, thankfully, I got the right help and, you know, just kind of got back on track again. So, you know, we all have, no matter what it looks like from the outside, um, you know, all, all I would just say to people is just hold on. There's always another day and, you know, look at what you, when the world starts turning a little bit more, anything is possible. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about loads of stuff. That's brilliant. And I think with all the chapters, some pieces you've mentioned today, we'd look forward to, to diving into that book. So just to wrap up, a question we ask everyone who comes on the show and from your experience working with purpose-driven impact, high performers in business, working with the Special Olympics, high performance in sport, what does high performance mean to you, Michelle? High performance. That's a great question. I listened to that earlier and I didn't formulate any answers. It means being the best version of yourself and also being aware that we're all capable of a hell of a lot more than we think. So um, allowing yourself to be pushed out of your comfort zone, for me, leads to higher performance, which is us all just doing what we're best at more often and sharing that knowledge with others. Michelle, thanks very much for sharing your story and really opening up to us today and so much wisdom in that, such a story to tell. So yeah, get that book over to Ireland. We'll be buying a couple of copies of it, but thanks a lot for your time today. Amazing. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.